0: Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On today's episode, a great story. A young hockey team got to practice at Bell MTS Place and imagine their surprise when Patrick Lalonde comes out to practice with them. I talked to the coach of that team, also an assistant coach at the University of Maine, talks about his life as a recruiter, a scout, and oh, he's from Selkirk. Plus, should axe throwing be an Olympic sport? Stranger things have been tried. That's all on the podcast. <laughs> Winnipeg Jets shared a a video today that they had a young hockey team on the ice at Bell MTS Place to have a practice. And then they were surprised by Patrick Line. It was a great scene. And we're joined now by the coach of that team, a team of nine year olds, the St. Boniface Seals, Ryan Young Husband. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, you're welcome. So, how did this experience start? Take me back to how did you and your team end up on the ice at Bell MTS Place? Um, Well,
1: it goes back to uh, some of the hardships that we started at the beginning of the year, and we started to work with our local association, and it ended up getting to the Jets, right, through the grapevine. They reached out to me and just said, hey, we've heard what's going on with your team. like to know a little bit more of the story. After explaining it to them, they said, we'd love to treat you guys to a pro experience practice at Bell MTS Center. From there, the ball started rolling, and the video ended up happening, and that's the end result. So... What were the uh, the hardships that you mentioned there? Um, so even before we played our first game, um, pretty much after the first or second practice, one of our boys broke his leg mm. at school, um, broke his shin right through. Oh my gosh! Twelve weeks. Wow. He he was in a in in a wheelchair for six weeks. Within a week, uh, even before we played our first game, um, another boy developed cancer. Oh my! Um, and it was very sudden and very shocking. So within a matter of ten days. We lost two members of our team for a long term. How are they doing right now? Um, the boy who broke his leg is is slowly coming back. The doctor says shortly after January um, he's going to basically allow him to start physical activity because his leg's been been pretty weak. Right. Um, The the young boy with cancer is doing well, the treatment's going well, Uh, he's starting his second round uh, early in January, and the prognosis is good. Good, that's good to hear.
0: So this experience, this pro experience, take me through what that day was like for your boys.
1: Um, So they they got us at uh, Bell MTS Center, Um, they told us right away, we're going to film you, we're going to walk down the stairs, we'll walk into the dressing room, and then from there it was sort of a surprise. Uh, From there, we had the boys all line up, made sure we were all in our gear, walked into the dressing room, and right away is where it started. There was packages for the boys. They had their names on the nameplates. They all just were in utter shock walking into that type of dressing room uh, and then seeing everything like that. And then with the camera crews around them, with uh, the host of Jets TV there, Jamie, um, it really started to bring in this sort of semi-pro not even semi-pro, pro pro experience of just like, wow, this is a lot different than our normal practices. So you have nine-year-olds that are used to playing where? Um, We play in St. Boniface on the east side of Winnipeg, so just in local community clubs.
0: And now all of a sudden you're where in an NHL arena. That's got to be an amazing experience.
1: Oh, exactly. They were, they were so excited to get in the dressing room. It took them a long while to sort of get dressed. I had right. to keep reminding them because they were like, this is so cool. But once we got on the ice, they were, just, they were ready to go. They were ready to fly out, the, out there on the ice and start getting uh, ready to go for a practice. So
0: was it a normal practice from your perspective?
1: Uh, no. Um, <laughs> as we were going through the planning portion of this, the Jets did let me know that there would be an NHL uh, player on the ice. Um, and they sort of gave me a timeline that they're going to come on the ice and join in in a few drills. So all of a sudden, that's the pressures on me. I have to understand, okay, who is it? How do I engage, you know, 15 nine-year-olds with an NHL player in a drill that, you know, everyone can have some fun? So I felt a little bit of pressure. Um, Did but you know beforehand who the player would be? Um, no. So they said a player. Uh, when we got there, um, they pulled me aside and said, okay, so we got a bit of a bonus for you. It's not just one player. It's going to be two. So it was Patrick Line and Sammy Niku. Uh, so that was even okay. Now i got to try to figure out how to get two players right. involved. Um, so again, I was feeling a bit of the pressure, but I had a couple of drills ready to go um, so that everyone could touch the puck and everyone could sort of play with the pros. So I've
0: seen the video. It starts with Patrick Line on the Jumbotron saying, hey, it's great, you guys are here. Oh, I'm just going to come join you. Yeah, And then he hops out. So when Line and Niku take the
1: ice, your boys were probably a little starstruck? That's... An understatement. Um, usually the group before and after games were like, guys, quiet, quiet, the coaches are trying to talk, and they literally do not stop talking to each other or the coaches. As soon as they saw the video and they realized that they were coming out, they were completely awestruck. They didn't say a word. I had to get, I had to actually prompt them to say, guys, say thank you. And, um, and they're probably just like, thank you. That's exactly it. That's exactly how they were sounding. They were just like completely amazed. Uh, but once uh, once Patrick started to engage, uh, they started to open up and be themselves. What was it like for you to tell two NHL players how to run a drill? I tried not to think about it. <laughs> I tried to to feel like I was just explaining the drill to my assistant coaches about what we're trying to do and accomplish, um, because I thought if if I did, it was sort of you know I'm going to stumble my words or, or seem like a an amateur, even right. though I am. But. Yeah. Um, but they were great. They understood exactly what we're trying to do, and, and they really uh, engaged with me and with the boys really well. So they had a good experience, too, then? I think so. Yeah, I really do. Um, you know, they had smiles on their face the whole time. Um, you know, so I really felt, you know, from an engagement level, they were they were right into what it. What did they do with the kids? What kind of drills? Um, so the one drill I had is... Um, It's called a quarterback drill so it's it's a bit of a offensive passing drill but we use defense into it as well so it was good that we had a a forward and a defense so the boys had to pass to them and they had to pass back trying to create offense in in um in in the offensive zone so we did that for about five minutes and then we did actually just keep away between (laughs) sammy niku and patrick line and the whole
0: team I imagine that's, it's a, an experience where it's, how long was the practice start to finish? like an,
1: an hour. An hour that probably felt like three minutes. Yes, yeah.
0: Just gone completely, lightning quick.
1: Yeah, it was. It was like we had sort of 15, 20 minutes with them to practice with, and then they did autographs and that after, so it was really, that went, it seemed like overnight, it seemed like a snap of the fingers, it was done, and you know, they were gone. And
0: when you were done, and they were off the ice, and your boys were off the ice were they chatty again, or were they kind of just still stunned at what just happened?
1: Um, they were actually they they were chatty, right? They were now really engaged with them, and and actually at the end, um, we got a chance. They got a chance to ask uh, Patrick Line and Sammy Niku some questions, and then again, the boys wouldn't wouldn't be quiet. They were just kept firing. <laughs> They're all yelling. They're all firing questions at them, right? So some of them were pretty funny.
0: For your from your perspective, seeing that experience for them, what how does that feel as a coach?
1: Um, very fulfilling. Uh, obviously because I felt very lucky that our team was able to participate in that. Um, you know, and it was a great lesson for me as a coach to understand that, you know, to give something to these boys, not just of coaching and hockey, but Hey, you get an experience, uh, of meeting an NHL player and actually being on the ice with them. So it's not just running into them at a store, but it's actually, you know, getting a pass or, or giving a, giving or taking a pass from an NHL player.
0: Right. And this season has there been a lot of winning losing or does
1: that really even matter for you um it doesn't matter overall um you know for me when we when i started the season i really did talk to the to the whole families when i brought them in about we are a hockey family right so we have three different teams within our team we have the parent team we all need to be on board we have the the kids obviously and we're going to work with them and then there's the coaching team and then there's there's us and we're a family and we need to work together And my whole philosophy throughout the year wasn't about if we win or lose. It was about the kids having fun, the kids learning life lessons. Hockey's the greatest game out there, and it's a great way to teach them life lessons.
0: I noticed in the video that parents were in attendance at this practice. They had no idea either that there'd be an NHL player, Patrick Lanny, stepping out, right? No one did. Nope. Because I noticed everyone all of a sudden rising with their cell phones, and that's what you do in 2018. You film it with your cell phone, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were utterly amazed. Again, they come up to me after, and did you know, did you know? And I had to sort of play dumb. No, I didn't realize until, you know, sort of we got there. But it was, um, we sort of made sure that the parents knew that this was going to be a big deal, so that they were there. Right. Yeah. Are you a Jets fan? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So for you out on that ice, would have been pretty cool, too. Uh, It was. I was almost sort of trying to get involved in the drills uh i was almost like i want to take a pass from patrick line to see if i can actually take a pass from an nhl player right right um but really had to just focus on you know this is for the boys and that so it was it was great it would have been awesome to to play around with them as well but uh i had to be an adult uh yes let's think
0: it's for the kids it's for the kids for the kids yeah. yeah so what does this say about the jets that they they went out of their way to do something like this
1: um Honestly, it just goes to my belief that the hockey community is one big family, right? And that when there's things that go wrong or things that are tough, everyone steps up, right? And that's one thing I I hope our boys learned was that you're not alone, right? Not our team, our association stepped in, other associations, and even the Jets. So it really, I'm hoping, shows the boys and everyone that, you know, they're behind us as well. We're not just not behind them. They give back a lot. Well, I think
0: this is an experience it seems like that they're all going to remember for the rest of their lives. And uh, thank you for sharing that
1: story with us tonight. No problem. Anytime.
0: On this week's MJHL Report, we're joined by Alfie Michaud, assistant coach with the University of Maine. He's from Manitoba, attended the school in the 90s before his pro career took him all over the place, including here in Winnipeg for a brief period of time with the Moose. Now he spends time scouting leagues like the MJHL. Alfie, thanks for joining the CJOB Sports Show. When you made that transition from Manitoba to Maine over 20 years ago, what was that like?
2: Uh, you know, Orono, Maine is a small town. I think that was the draw. Uh, I played my minor hockey in Selkirk. I uh, played my junior hockey actually out in Saskatchewan junior, and then uh, yeah, I went to Maine. So uh, the transition wasn't too bad because Orono is a small population, five thousand people as far as the town. Uh it swells up to twenty thousand when students are on campus and everything. So um, you know, for me being a I guess a small town prairie boy, um, you know, the transition was was perfect for me, you know. Uh um so uh, you know, the transition was good. Uh as far as that, living away from home and you know, going to school in a small, you know, for a small university and that well smaller, I guess ten thousand people. It was the right fit for me. Uh, yeah, but it was, uh, it was an adjustment. The hockey was definitely an adjustment, jumping from the SJ to uh, to Hockey East, uh, which was, you know, it's, it's one of the uh, premier uh, divisions in NCA. So, uh, you know, that that was definitely an adjustment
0: for sure. What was the adjustment going from playing in North America to playing overseas? You
2: know, for me, the biggest thing, uh, it was an adjustment. Obviously, uh, there's a language barrier in Germany uh it wasn't that because the Danes uh, they pretty much subtitle everything so as far as your TV everything like that and they, and they spoke great English uh, Finland was a little bit of a challenge it was really hard to find uh, you know uh, English speaking uh, you know but it was, it was a wonderful wonderful time in my life I know my wife, my kids they enjoyed it um, you know to spend to live nine years in Europe uh where the hockey was great but then also we traveled a lot you know we got to london and to paris and to rome and to you know prague and all these neat cities that you really you know being a small town small town prairie boy you only kind of you'd only you know read about in books or something so to be able to do that and experience that that's uh that's something that you know we're going to cherish and i have a lot of great friends back in europe and now being a coach, uh, you know, being able to to get over there and, and recruit in Europe and that it's it's awesome.
0: Do you still have jerseys from the places you've played?
2: I got jersey from every every single team I ever played with, so that's that's a neat thing. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I got all my jerseys. Obviously, the European jerseys uh, a lot of advertising, it's a little bit different than playing here in North America. Um, but yeah, I, I got a jersey from every, every team i ever played with. So keep them in the and closet. or what? <laughs> Keep them in the closet. Yeah. I don't really, uh, don't really display any of that stuff, but it's, that's there for keepsakes. I guess, uh, when I get older and decide to, uh, I did have a man room, but I got three daughters. So they kind of took over my room and now it's, it's pretty much just the big play area for them. So.
0: Sounds good. So you're, what kind of interaction do you have now as a university assistant coach with junior leagues like the MJHL?
2: Um, well, I'm, I, I take pride in obviously being a Western Canadian, so um, my one of my main focuses is being out here, recruiting out west. Uh, you know, I'm on a long road trip right now, all out west uh, between Manitoba, Sask, Alberta, and B.C., um, we've been doing pretty good in the West as far as getting kids to, to come our way. It's a little tough for being an Eastern school, obviously. Uh, you know, kids, kids know the North Dakotas and they know the Bemidjis and the, in the Minnesota Duluth and the Western Michigan. So, uh, so they don't really think beyond that, but uh, yeah, you come, you tell them, you know, I tell them my story that I was, you know, much like you. Um, just excited to be able to keep playing hockey beyond junior and, and whether it took me to the East Coast or not, uh, you know, with these kids, so it's it's been it's been good. You know, I, that's all I can really do with these kids is share share my story and uh, and then share our rich history there at University of Maine, and and hope hope they can, uh, you know, they want to come down for a fly down, and then you know the the hope is that they like it enough that that they want to become black bears.
0: So have you been able to? T- I guess convince any Manitoba junior players to come to Maine recently.
2: We do. We got uh, we got Brady Keeper. Um, he's a kid played in OCN. He's uh, Brady be on our top pairing there in in Maine right now, and we have uh, recently uh, committed uh, Matt Beeson, who was a goaltender with Steinbeck. Um, he's now playing in the USHL, and recently this summer got drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. So we got got Maddie and Brady and we got a couple other other things in the woodworks here um you know obviously Manitoba's uh you know doing a great job in developing good young talent and uh you know it's a place we'll definitely keep keep looking and hopefully uh you know find a a kid that's the right fit to play for us you know at the end of the day I I want kids and uh you know parents to understand that you know, us as coaches, we're just trying to give these kids opportunity, and whether it's CHL or or NCA, it's uh, you know, it's an avenue to hopefully help these kids to keep their dream alive of playing in the National Hockey League, and um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll keep uh keep working out here, that's for sure.
0: All right, Alfie. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me today, and uh, best of luck throughout the rest of the season
2: with Maine. Thank you, and happy holidays.
1: What's it all about, Alfie?
0: Got an email recently. Reads as follows. Hello. I'm contacting from Forged Axe Throwing in Whistler to introduce the fascinating sport of axe throwing to you as it ramps up attempts to become an Olympic sport. Right now, this quintessentially Canadian activity is spreading across North America and Europe with axe-throwing bars offering this exciting, quote, alternative to darts as a social pastime, proving hugely popular as a birthday bachelorette party idea. Because what is better than getting drunk and throwing a murder weapon at a wall? Now, more seriously, though, the email notes the sport has Olympic ambitions for the first time when people such as James Anderson of Forged are working to highlight the sport with this in mind. Now, before you say, ax throwing as an Olympic sport, that sounds dumb. There have been some really odd things tried at the Olympics before. Since the first modern games in 1896, 12 sports completely disappeared from the schedule. And some of them, I would say, need to make a return. Croquet, bring that back immediately. Make it body contact, even. Cricket, polo. Tug of war. Baseball as well, but, you know, we, we got a league for that. Demonstration sports have been weird as well. In 1988 in Calgary, there was ski ballet. Look it up. It's really weird. Bandy is an interesting sport. Why not give that a shot? Heck, it took curling until 1988 to be on it. 1932, there was dog sled racing. Why can't we try that again? Angling in 1900. Yes, Olympic fishing. There was ballooning. Bowling. Equestrian in 1896. It made its way back. Field handball. Gaelic football. Kite flying. Something called corf ball. Pigeon racing. Pigeon shooting. Are they? Would they race shoot them after the race? I don't know about that. Roller hockey. So why not giving axe throwing a try? Motorsport again. There was kite flying. So many competitors showed up to the 1900 Olympics. They had to divide them in three subclasses: small, medium, and large kites. Got a big kite? Well, this is, I guess, one of the easiest ways to win an Olympic medal. It's kite flying, harder than it looks. There's something called ski joring, which is a cross country skier being pulled along by a horse. So imagine water skiing, except it's snow, and instead of a boat, it's a horse. Again, axe throwing. Eh, doesn't sound so bad now, right? Well, before we go. Pigeon racing. Let's dive into pigeon racing again because of all the things I mentioned so far, croquet aside, croquet just needs, let's just, uh, yes, croquet is an Olympic sport now. Pigeon racing was a competition in the 1900 Olympics. There were a lot of weird things in the early days of the Olympics because the first decade or two, they're trying to figure out what is an Olympic sport. So we're giving all kinds of things a try. You might say they had no idea what they were doing. Now, you might also say that they still don't know what they're doing. The IOC is an incredibly corrupt organization, and every four years we kind of forget for two weeks that it's really bad. But can you imagine the drama, the excitement, the suspense? We send our best pigeon, our best Canadian pigeon. Where would this, what city would this pigeon be from? Probably Toronto. There's a lot of them there. And he returns home flies across the Atlantic with a weight around it. Well, the weight would probably, it wouldn't work so well. There's also been a doping scandal in pigeon racing a few years ago. If you really want to do a deep dive on pigeon racing, do that. My ultimate point is axe throwing, you can give it a try, sure. But I really think we should be putting our weight behind croquet. Let's get croquet into the Olympics. Why? Because it's a sport I could play at an Olympic level. Maybe. I broke a mallet in the summer. That's all you need to know. That's how intense I am at croquet. Okay, croquet? Okay. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mel and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes. Not available on Google Podcasts not available anywhere you get your favorite podcast yes